0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome everyone to the latest Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan here talking with Pete Bodo. Today's Friday Racket Scientist edition as we've done uh, the past couple weeks here. Today's topic was one that Pete brought up um, a couple days ago, but it's really been a topic of discussion um, for many years now, even though... I guess a decision has been rendered, of course, tennis is an Olympic sport. But the topic really was, does tennis really belong in the Olympic Games? Um, and to me, when I when I looked at sort of the feedback we got from this uh, post here, it was one of the more balanced sets of of responses that we've gotten. in I think any racket scientist post to date, I think possibly because it really still does stir this debate, you know, does tennis really fit that mold as an Olympic sport when you, when you traditionally think of, you know, the gymnastics, track and field, things like that. And tennis, of course, being played all the time, professional league settings like that. So I think that's why we got so, um, so much of a varied response here. You mean Uh, it
0: didn't just hammer me?
1: No, you were, you were hammered and praised simultaneously. Whoa. Life's getting better. Yeah. It's just one, one step at a time. So that's, I mean I can really kind of segue into that into a couple of examples I saw of really just point counterpoint responses here. and maybe I can get your reaction to possibly both of them pete after. Um, we'll start with, I think the one of the one of the topics of, of, of contention about it is does, is does the Olympics really define tennis? Is as said, by low 4.0 player, quote, it's not an Olympic medal which defines greatness in our sport, it's winning the majors. And so you have that majors versus medal sort of controversy always being discussed here. Um, And and to counter that is by Ruth, who writes, I will continue to base my feelings about tennis vis-a-vis the Olympics on what I've heard from the players, especially those who've won at both the Olympics and at the slams. They invariably refer to their winning a gold medal as right up there, with their winning one or more slams, end quote. Um, Any thoughts on maybe those two responses, one in particular, Pete?
0: Well, first of all, Ruth is a long-time poster and reader of Tennis World. I wouldn't normally point that out, other than she's an exceptionally well-balanced, smart, with it. And she knows her stuff. She's a great, great person to have around our site, and I appreciate it every time she's around. Uh, I, I don't agree with her in a sense that she's saying she. I know she said in her original comment that I saw that she went by what the players were saying and what you know what they said, how much it means to them. You know, that's all well and good, but let's face it. I mean, we, we'd we all say the same thing. You know, that's, that's neither here nor there. And I ought to preface that really by saying that, look, tennis is in the Olympics. Let's face it. And I think it's great for tennis. I mean, how could it not be good for tennis to have all this attention, especially because of you guys, you know, the like good Roger Federer, Serena Williams is, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing for tennis. However, I think in the big picture, what you want to look at really is, yeah, is this a defining thing in tennis? Uh, I see it really more as – you know, not just gravy because you know, uh, uh, winning a big exhibition match, a four man, the top players and stuff, that can that can be you know gravy too. This is you know, an order above that. What they've done, I mean, they're trying to make the Olympics in a sense have become the fifth slam, and I guess that's good, but that still you know evades the basic question of whether it should or shouldn't be in the Olympics.
1: Do you do you put do you side to the it shouldn't be? Um, more based on the grounds of the realities of of the history of tennis and the calendar? Or do you side more on, I think you did bring this up in your post, was a little bit of really taking some of the spotlight away from Olympic events that I think you would traditionally see as Olympic sports by nature.
0: Well, that's part of it. I mean, look, let's face it. And the other thing is I, I can't complain about tennis being in the Olympics when you have all these other sports and when you have you know basketball, essentially NBA basketball in the Olympics and stuff too. It would be crazy to say tennis shouldn't be in when these other people are in. I question a basic premise. To me, the Olympic Games, the closer it is to the track and field championships the swimming championships of the world and stuff, the better off we are. I think the really baseline for many Olympics has always been that the Olympics was the sport where you know we're where non where, – Things that weren't huge spectator sports, you know, that you weren't exposed to all the time, where these athletes who have, you know, magnificent athletes who have just chosen to do one thing either because they're good at it or because they happen to love it above all other things. It's their showcase. And to me, a little bit, when you have the Michael Jordans and you have the Roger Federers, you know, I have the other professional, some of the professional baseball players, whatever, you know, who, who are in the mix here, you know, I, I think it takes away from it. These guys, these guys are really elite in their own sports already. They've got, they've got a tremendous amount of attention. You know, it's, it's not about publicity per se. But the fact is their sports are very well known. They have enormously popular worldwide broadcast accessible championships and stuff. So really, you know, why, you know, why hog it? You know, why, why hog up the the spotlight for these people? Because, you know, they're going to do it. And I think that's kind of a pity. Uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, the elite athletes who are professionals is when when they have this, you know, All these tremendous events that they have really need to be there. I also think the Olympics are being a little bit two-faced and hypocritical here. I think they've let a lot of these sports in because they're going to resonate so much and they're going to increase the audience, which increases the heft and the prestige of the Olympics, brings a lot more money into the coffers. So I'm not a cynic by any means, but I do think that there's some practical reasoning behind that that I'm not really in favor of.
1: There's, I'm, I'm almost certain that golf is actually, um, coming in, in the next four years as well. Um, I'm pretty sure that's correct. And that I think is another, um, point to your argument there, you know, a, a sport that is certainly going to get a lot of attention based on what it's already brought to the, you know, what it's, what people have already seen from it and what you're going to see in the next two weeks here in London. If you're watching anywhere is you're going to basically see these other sports and their athletes in many cases for the first time and i th- and that's kind of where you know, like you said, they shine here. So I Look, think a that's... guy like a
0: Michael Johnson, just to, just to add one more thing, a guy like a Michael Johnson, I mean, this ought to be his time because the guys are spectacular or Usain Bolt. I mean, these guys are fantastic, spectacular athletes. Yes, they will get their share of sure, the publicity in the games, but I would not be surprised if you counted up the amount of inches devoted into papers around the internet, a uh, number of columns devoted to the Roger Federer's versus, you know, and I don't mean to pick on Roger by any means, but the tennis players versus the, you know, the track athletes and stuff. I, I think the tennis Players players, you know, and the, the name players, the international stars slash celebrities are going to really, you know, get most of the
1: limelight, which I think is a pity. The, another sort of point, counterpoint I wanted to illustrate here from what I saw in responses. Um, I'm going to read off two quotes here. One was by Kent 61J. Um, these two quotes talking really about how tennis – how the tennis events are ran in the Olympics, because you do notice that aside from um, a cut to a 64-player draw in the singles and the doubles here, you are seeing these tr- you know, played out the same way you see regular tour events, even the majors to a degree here. So what Kent61J says is, I think tennis would be more exciting in the Olympics if we're, if it were included as a team sport using something like the World Team Tennis format um, possibly expanded to three men and women singles and doubles competition. Doing it this way would put the emphasis on the national tennis teams. I think that would be more exciting and less taxing for players with an already overloaded schedule, and would provide for some interesting results. Um, when I read that, I, I do think about kind of what what ideas Davis Cup, Fed Cup. These competitions have always tried to. To bring in, into their into their games, you know, possibly to kind of modernize, keep up with the demands of, of, of the schedule today. Um, maybe I'll let you start with that, Peter, and then I'll kind of give the counterpoint here. Um, any thoughts on on that? If what do you think, I guess, about the way that the tournament is played in the games?
0: Well, you know, I have very mixed feelings about that. I fundamentally, in some ways, agree with Kent, with a huge caveat. I mean, I don't think it's anywhere written in stone that the Olympics ought to be about a team competition. In fact, you know, you don't, you know, other than say the four-man relay or whatever, you don't really have team. It still is about individual glory on behalf of your nation to some degree. But I think, you know, I think one of the big problem with the team approach would be. You know, teams that would not have much of a chance. It's kind of like Davis Cup. You know, would Roger Federer play the Olympics if he knows that fundamentally Sweden has uh, Switzerland has no real shot at winning, a, you know, a team format event? So that's one thing that would be. And you know, these guys would not play if they really felt they didn't have much of a chance because they don't play Davis Cup, and that's already that's kind of our Olympics. Our Olympic team competition, in a sense, is the Davis Cup. So that's one thing. Uh, I do have some big problems with the format. Number one. Uh, I, I think the limit on nations, I understand it. I do think, it, you know, the Olympics ought to be a, a worldwide festival. Everybody, you know, hands across the water, Big Ten, all that stuff. On the other hand, look, Feliciano Lopez, a top 20 player at the time the draw was made at the direct acceptance, June 11th, was did not qualify for the Olympics because of the four-man limit per country. I mean, that's kind of a travesty. He's in now because Nadal pulled out. It would be really pretty ironic if Lopez went on to win it. And don't think he can't, given that it's a grass court event. uh, It's it's the best of three sets. You know, he's an aggressive player, an attacking player. You know, so that right off the bat, they're already, you know, the whole concept in tennis has always been driven by individual performance, complete meritocracy. This is There's a little bit here of understandable, but I don't think completely legit, uh, you know, Parceling out of x number of places, and it's a quota system. Let's face it, and I, I don't like that in tennis. That 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 really goes against the grain in tennis. Another the Olymp- issue, I well, I'm the, sorry, uh, as I say,
1: the Olympics uh, very restrictive. I have to point out in their admittance to the games. Here, I, I did want to say that when one of the Olymp- one of the doubles teams in the women's side, the Bondarenko sisters, pulled out, uh, there was actually no team admitted in their place. Even though I think you know, it's, it wouldn't be too hard to find two doubles players from a nation who would just give anything to play at the Olympics, and uh, they're actually, the top-seeded team of Hoover and Raymond are actually going to get a bye in the second round. So there has been a lot of discussion um, about the way the players really are admitted into the games. Um, it, it's a, certainly a unique process totally unto the Olympics itself there.
0: Yeah, so you know, which you you can you could justify that in some ways, but it does make it a, a, a horse of a different color. No no question about that. The other problem I have, by the way, is you know, the they've now reduced the mixed doubles to I think sixteen teams and it's gonna be if the team any team that splits sets in any given match, when they split sets, they play a super tie break to decide a third set. And you know what? They're given a gold medal for this and a silver and a bronze. That medal is gonna be worth the same thing as the singles medalist. Now in doubles, I think when you've got a essentially a full draw, you've got you know the, the thing is being played out, you know, uh, you know, maybe not with two sets with a tiebreaker in a third, but, you know, it's being played out three sets, best of five final in the men's, of course, uh, you know, uh, that that at least is, you know, there's there's an equality there. But I mean, you know, and I don't begrudge mixed doubles players. I love mixed doubles. I think it's wonderful that you can have men and women compete together on the same field. But again, when you look at how watered down the event for the Olympics is and the fact that they're still going to walk away with a gold medal, God bless them. You know, it's still a good effort. They still won, but it takes a little bit away.
1: Yeah, you and I have uh, talked about that already in the previous podcast. I I can't agree with you more on that. Um, A reader did bring that same exact thing. Uh, Derek was his name on on the post here. I was going to get to it after. You know, he just puts up, I think, the question that boils down why mixed doubles has uh, really a, a great potential, especially to be showcased at Olympics. He says, is there any other Olympic sport where men and women compete against each other in the same event? follows it up by saying, I do agree that that tiebreaker set is kind of lame. Um, so I think there is a lot of potential for mixed doubles here. And I just, I agree that if you're going to, if you're going to host it, it should have been done correctly from the start. This is an incredibly small draw 16. Um, and I just, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really right against up against the singles and doubles. So, you know, to that point, very much agree with you there. Um, the second, you know, getting back to the, what Kent said about the way the, the event is played here, I think the opposite, not exactly the opposite, but a different spin on it was given by another good friend of ours, Slice and Dice, says, quote, if tennis is to remain in the games, it should be an uber extravaganza, a sort of super slam, one for the ages. In other words, best three of five sets for both the men and the women and a draw of 256, Make it a grueling event, one that ensures the entrants are rightfully deserving of the name Olympian. Uh, Any thoughts on that?
0: Well, I love Don you know Slice is always there with some interesting ideas I don't know that 256 makes sense I mean if, if you're going to take that line of reasoning why not make it whatever the next factor is 478 <laughs> whatever it is so you know I, I don't know about that I think 128 draw is pretty good because look you don't want to have everybody in you know it is a big tent but there but still are walls to the tent and like you and I shouldn't be in the Olympics let's face it so uh, but I, I think fundamentally I, I think substantially he's making the same point I've been in and you know uh, you know that you know you, you can't compare this to a Grand Slam because it's in entirely different. It's order of magnitude is much lesser. Another very good example is that in a Grand Slam event, they play seven rounds over thirteen days. In the Olympics they're playing six rounds over nine days. Now that means a lot of more a lot of compressed matches. I don't even want to think about what happens if you get rain at Wimbledon and that's been known to happen, let's face it. Uh and, and I think you know the the beauty of the Grand Slam approach, the, the two week approach, seven rounds, is that it, it elongates things so much that even if a guy gets hot like a Lucas Russell who beat Nadal at wimbledon you know you still basically it's there's this endurance factor mentally physically and emotionally that comes into play and we all know that the longer the more those factors come into play the more the cream will rise to the top the less likely you are to have kind of a really a surprise winner you know it's somebody who just gets hot and then rips through the draw and there you are there you have your your gold medalist and i think it's really you know somewhat telling that only three of the six olympians uh, gold medalists in in a recent game since it was reintroduced in nineteen eighty eight only only three of the six male gold medalists. Um, you know, had won a Grand Slam and or been ranked number one in the world. So there's a surprise factor, which, you know, you could put it down to Olympic inspiration, you could put it down to fatigue, any number of any number of things, but it does kind of skew things. Oddly enough, the women don't have that same problem. The women, you know, the women Olympics is played out pretty much the way a Grand Slam is. You know, the, the medalists are the people you expect to be up there on a podium and stuff with the occasional surprise. So I, I think that's pretty good. One other point that I want to make, though, that... I, I, I was just
1: say to that, I think, I think that the women get that you see those results happening. because you know the the format, the best three of best of three set is the same for the women, right. of course. Yeah, and I I do think uh, to what you're saying there about the number, I think that is possibly the biggest factor of all is just the, the sheer. Um, limiting amount of time to be to fit in all these matches because we're going to be having many of the top singles players more than any you know far and away any other tournament. Singles players don't do doubles in the slams anymore, but they do it plenty of them in the Olympics. Murray, Federer, Djokovic, uh, Nadal would have done it here. So th- that I think is why um, you know why you see these results like you're saying.
0: Yes. You know, one other thing, point, I don't don't know if any of our readers addressed this in their comments and stuff is I'm a little bit – I think it's a little bit unfair to the have-nots of the tour to have the Olympics. Part of this is a scheduling problem, of course, to have the Olympics so close to Wimbledon because, look, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, you know, top four or five guys, Grand Slam champions, pretty much almost anybody in the top ten really or certainly people who have won majors, you know, they can actually stop after Wimbledon. The way the schedule is this year anyway, so it was a little bit different in Beijing. I know that um, you will see why I 'm going forward, but these guys can afford to take the time off and to prepare for the Olympics and to be in the in best possible frame of mind now these other guys there are a lot of other guys who would be medal contenders you know guys in the top ten you know from the sec- second five in the top ten and further on who you know who are actually still, you know, you know, needing to hold their places. They're having to go out there and play for rankings. Look at all these guys who've been playing clay court tennis, you know, Tipsarovich's, the Juan Monaco's, you know, uh, these other guys, Philippe Kohlschreiber, the only German singles player in the Olympics, the only man in the men's draw from Germany is in the semifinals in Austria, as we speak. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to work out for him if he ends up being in a final because he's going to miss the Olympics. So, you know, uh, that's, you know, You know that's one thing, but I I think the real important thing there is that there are a lot of guys getting who can afford to have a lot. It's a rich get richer kind of a thing. The guys who can afford to take the rest after Wimbledon, much earned, much deserved, because they've played through, usually gone to the semis, finals, whatever. You know these guys really have kind of an advantage over the everyday tour guys who can't afford to pass up events that are giving him rankings points and prize money. Let's let's remember prize money cuz there's no prize money in the Olympics.
1: All right. Yeah. No, it's it's you know like I said it's a debate that I think still stirs uh, you know opinions here and I think that's what we saw for a lot of the comments here. Um you know will uh, I do want to point out also um thank you to Danny Zagat here emailed from our last podcast. Um podcast at tennis.com, by the way. If you want to send something to us here, we'll try to get it on the next one. Um, Talking about Wimbledon moving back a week and how that might impact Newport. He had a good point here saying you know, this, if let's say Newport goes into that middle week of the three weeks in between the events, he says this could also deepen the field at Newport. Currently, Newport top seeds who go deep at Wimbledon don't feel the need to schlep over here immediately. Last year, it was Marty Fish who bailed. This year, it was the Bryan brothers. So um, that's another, I think, positive I think Newport can actually take out of that. I think they, um, at face value, it may look like trouble when Wimbledon's going to move ahead a week there, but I think they can take advantage of it if they really kind of think their options through here. So, um, But that's all for Racket Scientist Podcast. We'll be back next week um, at, at least to talk about how the Olympics have started off here. The matches start tomorrow and run through through the day, through the week, of course, up till next Sunday, the gold medal match for the men. Um, it's kind of wall-to-wall tennis out there, like I said, with all the doubles going on, even guys in mixed, um, just plenty of stuff to talk about, so we'll hit on all that next week. So for you Pete Boto— We for tennis, that's for sure. No, not in the least. So we will uh, have it covered. Pete Bodo, Ed McGrogan, thanks for listening. Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.